0: Welcome back to another episode here on the Desi VC podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Akash Pat, and each week I speak to leading angel investors and venture capitalists in India and have them share their insights about investing in the country. Today is a very special episode as I get to sit down with somebody that I've admired and whose work within Indian Tech and VC is an inspiration to many. On the show with me is Anjali Bansal, founder and managing partner at Avana Capital. Avana invests in technology and innovation-led startups who are catalyzing climate action and sustainability and delivering exponential returns. Anjali has had a very successful career with previous stints as the former executive chairperson of Dana Bank, prior to which she was the global partner and managing director with TPG Growth Private Equity, responsible for India, Southeast Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. She started her career as a strategy consultant with McKenzie & Co in New York. Anjali has been an early investor and mentor to several unicorns in the country, including the likes of Delivery, Nica, Urban Company, and Davenbox. She's also on the Expert Advisory Committee for Startup India Seed Fund Scheme, and a member of the steering committee advising the government on Open Network for Digital Commerce, ONDC, and also serves on the board of several leading companies, including Tata Power, Voltas, and Piramal Enterprises. What is also interesting is that Anjali and I both share the same alma mater, Columbia University. So it was a pleasure to sit across another Columbia grad and talk about investing. This episode covers so many different topics, but most importantly, sheds a little bit of light on the persona and personality behind the investor that Anjali is. So without further ado, let's head in and speak to Anjali. Hi Anjali, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show today. We've been meaning to do this for a while and you've been on my wish list for quite some time now. So I'm very, very excited and looking forward to the next hour or so here on the show.
1: Akash, pleasure is all mine. I'm excited to be on the show with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'm hopeful that this conversation really takes us places today, given the number of hats you don. And I was debating where to really have our conversation begin from. You know, I could take you back 24, 25 years to where it all began. Or just the last two years, which, in my opinion, has taught us a lot about Indian venture capital. So let's start there and we'll eventually make our way backwards in time. So looking back in the last two years, you know, perhaps extending it slightly Mm -hmm. further as well, when the boom cycle really began in India. What have you learned personally about investing, the country, liquidation, the markets and everything in between over this period, personally speaking?
1: I think I'll start with a quote from a book. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? The last two years have been probably the worst of times for humanity as a whole. We have faced an unprecedented crisis, which I hope we never have to see again in a lifetime, but I'm not confident we might see something again like this. And we've learned so much from it. I personally have learned a lot. I think overall, what we have learned as a society is none of us is an isolated island. We are not isolated as countries, as societies, as people. It is a global pandemic. It is a problem that impacts us all and solutions that have to be found will have to be collaborative solutions. Whether it is vaccination and is one country producing it and giving it to another, it is a, a new drug discovery that is taking place. So I think basically saying Society as a whole, we are in this together. is kind of my biggest learning. Um, difficult times, but also very energizing, uplifting, optimistic learnings. Because I've seen, in a, again unprecedented way, government, civil society, and the entrepreneurial ecosystem come together to solve a problem, and really with no axe to grind. Everyone's been pulled in. Everyone's kind of uh, piled in with all their insight and their resources. Now, ACT, for example, is a, is a terrific uh, coalition that came together of the venture and uh, startup ecosystem in India. The Action COVID Task Force grew organically as a coalition in the first wave to solve this problem. And they said, you know, all the lessons we have learned from growth hacking in companies can be applied back to solving COVID. So that's an example, very positive and energizing. Going back to VC and entrepreneurship, last two years, uh, despite COVID, Maybe because of COVID, because the other thing that COVID did is it accelerated massively the ongoing trend of digitization in India. And I think India has made such a leap forward in some of the harder, slower to adopt digitization segments, whether it is MSMEs, it is sectors like education, health. No one could have imagined two years ago that you know schooling would go online, college would go online. And you could actually consult your doctor and get a prescription online, right? Uh, So I think there's been such a fundamental shift. Consequently, we've also seen a great spurt in entrepreneurship. So I feel that we are actually looking at a golden decade ahead, the combination and the coming together of just incredible entrepreneurial talent. I think we have the best entrepreneurs in the world in India, amazing entrepreneurial (laughs) talent. Technology. We have the largest digital network. We also have the largest public digital infrastructure, which I will come back to uh, subsequently. Uh, so great talent, great digital infrastructure, great technology, ideas, big market, and lots of capital available. So I think it's been a terrific period.
0: There's skeptics will be sitting on the other side of the table saying, this is fantastic, but... This is also kind of ruining the ecosystem for a lot of other incumbents and newcomers. It may be shutting doors to opportunities to people who had thought about a life in venture, or thought about life in entrepreneurship. And of course, we can get into those details as well. What would you tell people and skeptics like those who have kind of seen this and felt this is more of a hurdle than an opportunity? And I'm on the other side, right? I'm on the other side where I'm with you, where I feel that this has been a fantastic foundation that we can build on for the next 15, 20 years. And it's just the starting, in my opinion, we saw something similar way back in 2010, then in 2016. And I think there's nothing like this ever, which has happened in the life cycle of Indian Venture, or at least my short time of being in it. So, from that perspective, when there are skeptics sitting on the other side of the table having this conversation with you or somebody else and debating and making them think beyond the realms of, you know, this wonderful narrative that we're all building around Indian venture, what would you tell them? And um, is, are they right to think that, you know, there are certain things that have been accelerated and which may not be good for maybe newer mm-hmm. funds to come in? for perhaps founders to go out and hire because hiring is a a huge problem and that's kind of also one of the reasons that um, a lot of founders look back and say hey great funding and all is great love the fact that my colleagues are getting all of this uh, capital to go out and build their dreams but also at the same time where's the money going it's going towards hiring talent and you're throwing money at talent and now I can't hire good talent because there's that inequality that gets developed over the ecosystem so there's a lot that's going on on either side of the table. But of course, one side of the table seems to be happier than the other right. um, as mm-hmm. skeptics usually go. Mm-hmm. How would how would you address that?
1: So as is also said about India, everything that is true about India, the opposite is equally true. Right. So yes, it is again, like the best of times. Uh, but certainly hiring is tough. Um, there is a view that Are we in a bubble? And people constantly have this conversation that hey, does this remind you of 2000, 2001? Um, And maybe there is a bit of a bubble. You know, who knows? Valuations are all subjective. You can uh, Indian stock market always has historically traded at a premium to other global markets as well. Indian market generally has been overvalued. So maybe we are in a bit of a bubble, and maybe there will be some. Um, letting out of air, will it burst? I don't think so. I don't think there will be a big burst. I think there'll be some letting out of air really. And maybe not everything will work. But what we don't always remember is 2000-2001 led to lots of innovation, right. which we are all sort of bearing the positive fruit of today. So this uh, this sort of expansion of liquidity, global liquidity that India is also participating in, the explosion in entrepreneurial talent, Um consequent war for talent because some of your best employees in a startup will actually leave to start their own companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are going through that period of the cycle where things are tight but overall I think the trend, the secular trend is a positive trend. Mm. It's a high quality problem to have and particularly in a country like ours with a very young population where on the one hand we talk about the demographic dividend of the youth But we also know that we have to create like a million opportunities, kind of um, 10 to 12 million opportunities a year for livelihood and employment, then how can it be a bad thing that there is an explosion of new companies, uh, new talent that is required, uh, rapid scaling and skilling, and startups are creating more jobs today than they ever did in India. So it can't be a bad thing. So I continue to be an optimist, even though it is a little bit, yes, maybe a little bit
0: frothy, maybe a little bit, probably. Yeah. It's okay. I, love the, I love the other side of the aisle simply because um, they always say, beware of a man with a hammer because everything appears as a nail to him. Yeah. And um, you need those skeptics in life because it kind of yeah. makes you also yeah. challenge your own conventional thinking. And that okay. kind of brings me to the point of the importance of having mental models, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm kind of like trying to connect this with the two independent school of thoughts. One is mental models and the importance of it. And the second one is the ability to unlearn so that you can learn something to actually get better at mm-hmm. something. Now, again, e- a subset of that is you have two sec two segments of um, even adventure. Mm-hmm. Some of the great VCs really do have a mental model that they can mm-hmm. articulate. And the balance of the great VCs don't have one and they have to, you know, try to rely on something else that Mm -hmm. they have to use to frame their investing now Mm -hmm. coming to you what kind of makes this an interesting opportunity for you given how your career spanned out right you've spent a lot of time in consulting a lot of time on the other side of venture but being very close to it in in some sense Mm And you've donned a lot of hats along the way as well. You know, being of, being a board of advisor, you know, just being an advisor to a number of companies, having seen the ups and downs from almost next to the next to the table than being at the table, and now you are at the table.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, having gone through that whole cycle,
2: mm-hmm.
0: how has your mentality about venture just evolved? Both looking at it from the outside now that you're inside, and getting a sense of everything that's kind of like happening. What's evolved for you personally, and how is that kind of like playing a role in your day-to-day, both as the role that you play as an LP sometimes, and mm-hmm. that of a fund manager?
1: So you mentioned uh, I've done uh, various sort of different things in life before, right? So I started like as an engineer, worked briefly at a always fascinated by science and space. Then went to our common alma mater, attachment to Columbia, and uh, then joined McKinsey as strategy consulting mostly financial services in New York, uh, serving large banks, asset managers, insurers, private equity funds on their strategies. Then moving to India, and now it's been 21 years, 22 years almost, I moved back in 2000. And, seeing, uh, and that was a very conscious choice because India at that point was just after the first wave of expansion post-liberalization. And you could see the uh, the nascent growth, we hadn't really taken off yet, but we could start, we started seeing the nascent growth in India. And I felt that being in a place, first of all, it's my janma bhoomi and I wanted to also make it my karma bhoomi, right? So your janma bhoomi is not a choice, your karma bhoomi is a choice, many we are all privileged to actually have a choice. So we wanted to be in India and to build our life and career here. And so moving here and then participating in the early stages of many of the titans of industry today in financial services, like big banks, insurers, and so on, and being really at the ground floor with them, helping set strategy, helping grow. Uh, Then being, setting up my first set of entrepreneurial ventures, starting Spencer Stewart in India, uh, building that for a while, and then being a late stage investor at, at TPG. Then finally, actually chairing a very stressed public sector bank being appointed by the government to resolve a stressed public sector bank. It's a very big responsibility and it's kind of an expression of it's public trust. You're holding large public sector bank with a lot of public deposits listed and uh, having to resolve it, right? So I think if, you, if, if I tie all of that together, really there are three things, mm. uh, an appreciation for technology and how it can solve problems um, and scaling that up, appreciating the scale of India. And a genuine love of solving problems and saying, okay, how do you bring it all together? And then the three things I've done in life is really around uh, strategy, it's human capital and financial capital. Put that together with technology, put it all together and say, large problems to be solved, Um, investing in and supporting smart entrepreneurs who are using technology to solve whether it's a it's a it doesn't have to be a social enterprise, right? It's actually a business. Businesses that are profitable, commercially sustainable, successful,
2: mm-hmm. are
1: actually very high impact. Right. So supporting entrepreneurs who are using technology to create large enterprises, putting capital to work, supporting them through it. I also sit on a couple of large public boards, right? So that gives access and insight into what's happening in the big India Inc economy and in some ways global inc. Right. So. All of these threads really
0: come together in what I do. How has this kind of changed your mindset as well as an individual, not just as an investor or somebody who's been Mm -hmm. in the financial industry as such? Because you as a founder, let's just take your founder hat, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You're dealing with other businesses. You're actually dealing with other founders as well. So there's a lot of empathy that goes in when you're a, a business owner yourself. Now, when you're supporting it from either a VC hat or Mm -hmm. your later stage hat, where you're again, supporting businesses as they scale, or you're Mm -hmm. on the other side as a consultant, all of these, again, require you to have a lot of empathy for either your client or the founders that you're working with from a portfolio perspective. So empathy becomes an underlying foundation for anything that you kind of like do and have to do in the Mm -hmm. realms of where we operate. Now, -hmm. having put empathy at the bedrock, what other things you have seen yourself kind of like develop over these years, that's kind of made you actually surprise your own self saying, and I mean, you had that in me. It's kind of interesting that I've been able to like develop this as, as you know, as times right. have come along. And that's kind of like what happens when you're a founder, because you kind of like end up discovering so much about yourself that you didn't know. And when you're an right. investor, you also are like, wait a minute, I didn't know I could invest in this sector. Now I feel like this kind of gives me a little right. bit more momentum and conviction. Especially if the company goes on to do well, or even the founders just turn out to, you know, be good founders. You're like, okay, you know what? This didn't work out next company, I'll back you. So you're still always building conviction. You kind of like get to the place of confidence, saying, Now I'm in a place where I kind of feel very secure and safe. And mm-hmm. having an insecurity in a way is great. But along the way, that insecurity, if it surprises you and kind of like helps you get to a place, it can kind of just is the best way to like have insecurities in life, in my opinion. So having said that. How would you look at your own uh, professional slash personal life and how this is kind of like helped you along? The sure.
1: think you started with empathy, which is a great place to start. Let me add a few more things. Uh, enormous respect for entrepreneurs. Mm. Enormous respect, whether they are successful, not successful. I just say, you know, hats off to anyone who will take the plunge. Uh, requires courage, conviction. And, uh, And it's a lonely journey, entrepreneurship. So I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs and consequently, humility. So recognizing that um, it is so much easier to suggest than have to do. Mm. It's so much easier to invest than actually have to build the company. So in addition to empathy, I think there is humility. There is respect and personal learning. I think one of the funnest things, one of the best things of being a VC is every day is a lot of learning. Every time you meet a founder, you learn something about a business. Um, and finally, you have the opportunity to contribute and contribute to multiple companies rather than just your own. Right. You are, there's a very significant, I hope, positive impact that, as a, that a VC can have and should have on the lives of the entrepreneurs as they grow as individuals um on the companies that you support in your portfolio and why just in your portfolio so you know for the maybe 30 companies I have in my portfolio I would like to think there are at least 30 others that I'm able to help without necessarily investing in
0: right.
1: I think there's all of that
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and and you talked about security and insecurity for yeah. me to one of the reasons when I'm doing what I'm doing is because it's actually you have to reinvent yourself I right? continuous learning uh, comes from comes from a place of almost being very secure and saying yeah I mean I know what I'm doing but now I want to do something new and different and creating insecurity that pushes you to learn and get better and better.
0: That's a fantastic point that you make there because I'll, I'll, I'll dial it back a little bit to the point of empathy and how kind of like building something actually like you said, gives you a lot of insight into the day-to-day aspect of um, startups that you don't really get to see as from the outside. Even if you're an investor, you don't get to see all the grant work that's actually being done, all the dirty work that needs to be done. And somebody needs to do it. And who's doing it? The founders are doing it from day one. Of course, along the way, you have a team that kind of like gets set in place. And the successful ones obviously do a good job of hiring the right people for the right roles so you can actually execute them. But in the early days, I remember when, um, you know, this is almost a decade ago when I started my first company. Um, Obviously, it was the non-profit space, but nonetheless, very similar sort of learnings as well. The biggest challenge I personally felt was I didn't know anything. So everything was a challenge, right? So you can actually look at something and be like, okay, this is how you got to figure it out. This is what you got to do. But when you are starting something out, when you have nothing in front of you, it's a clean slate. It's so scary. Either you approach that with a lot of fear and insecurity, as we talked about, or you turn that and say, hey, this is great, but I will make mistakes along the way, but that's the only way I will learn. And that goes back to the point you and I were talking about before the recording is today's generation of founders do not look at it from a sense of fear, but look at it from a sense of opportunity. A lot of them are shunning traditional educational institutions because they Mm -hmm. feel there's a lot more of life and, you know, practical learning experience that they will get by going and building yeah. it out. Successful, unsuccessful mm-hmm. is a byproduct of you trying to build something and doing it perhaps the right way. And of course, the other variables kind of coming into play for you, which doesn't <laughs> often happen in, in most cases for a lot of founders. Because, again, the best performing companies are always like these tall trees and like a thick, thick forest. You barely come yeah. into them. And it's all the others that you kind of like often don't end up seeing it. it's only the sequoias that kind of like get uh, and you have talking about the trees here not the fun that kind of like get all the attention but then you got to know that there's a whole lot of like vegetation around it which obviously sometimes thrives and sometimes doesn't in most cases they don't right so but you when, need it all in a forest you need all of that you, in you forest. cannot
1: have a forest that only has giant redwoods
0: exactly they wouldn't survive on their own so taking that as context to some of the conversations that we've had and um then I'm trying to like get a whole lot of, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I'm also trying to like make sure that this isn't very similar to some of the other interviews that have done. And I would always obviously, obviously encourage all of our listeners to go and listen to the other ones because they talk about a lot about investing. But here I'm really trying to get to who you are as an investor, as a person, and how all of that kind of like ties in. And that's the story that we want to like tell a lot of our listeners is that, hey, investors are not just people who are just sitting there from a perspective of, some information and knowledge that kind of makes them kind of special to invest in the space, but no, they bring a lot of personal mission. They bring a lot of uh, ideologies, principles, experiences in life into investing. And that's kind of also at some point, a very personal proposition that they have, perhaps that's what skin in the game for me actually also feels. It's not just, you know, you having money into something, but it's also yeah. what do you bring into it? And how are you fostering a culture of investing the next generation of founders? Because to, you always end up working with people who are pretty similar to you, right? And in, in, in that whole process, you're also trying to like bet against yourself and say, hey, if I weren't living this life, what kind of life would I be living? And if that life were to take over my current job, would that person actually be making in investment decisions and decisions as a whole, which will benefit my organization, my LPs, and at the same time, touch upon the mission that I have, you know? So- how do you see yourself and the person that you are in your real life and the person that you are or you want to be as an investor supporting and building structures around you resources around you people around mm-hmm. you that kind of align very closely to who you are and the mission that you are trying to build with it could be Avana, could be you as an lp and how important is it for you to find those people does that question make sense or that kind of like
1: it does and uh the short answer to your question is it's definitely the latter for me. Okay. I think um, I, I really believe in the diversity and the complementarity of teams. No one person is complete. That Sampurna Purusha or three is, I don't kind of believe in that. Mm-hmm. So none of us is Sampurna which means to be effective mm-hmm. and uh, investing like many other things is actually a team sport in my view. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to have people in your team who have a different perspective, uh, whether it is because they come from a different uh, background, different experience, different age. And often now, you know, one gets challenged on use of technology by folks who are 20 years younger, and that's how it should be, right? Because um, when I look at my teenage kids, they live in the metaverse already. And, you know, for me, I will be a visitor to the metaverse. So in that sense, you do want diversity, you want people with a different point of view, uh, also who are smart enough. And then I think as a leader, it is incumbent on me and other leaders to create a sense of confidence and security in the team that, where open debate and dissent is actually encouraged.
2: Mm.
1: So but that's really when you get to great outcomes, right? when you're challenged, you're forced to think better mm. uh, in, in everybody. Not just me. I mean, it could be my analyst, it could be my other partner, it could be uh, anybody. Uh, and same thing goes with entrepreneurs. The way to not stagnate, the way to keep pushing yourself to do better and better is to have people around you who are different, uh, smarter, who will challenge assumptions and bring forth different points of view.
0: Right, but this is and easy. that is actually no, exhilarating no. learning. Yeah, but it's also easier said than done, especially when you're building. Um, Perhaps say a portfolio where mm-hmm. you have that fiduciary responsibility of not just um, bringing returns to your um, LPs, but also at mm-hmm. the same time staying true to the mission that you believe in, the kind yeah. of um, companies you align yourself with. So very good point. How does that kind of like fit in?
1: So what's the commonality? Yeah. So I think as I talked about the diversity, the way it works is uh, is you also need to have very sort of great alignment and almost unified vision and values.
2: Mm.
1: So it's more important, frankly, to have alignment of vision and values, and then to have complementary skills and experiences. Yeah. But the vision and values piece is critical.
2: Mm. So
1: we all need to, uh, we all have to believe in the same mission and vision. Yeah. Um, including, by the way, generating outsized returns for your LPs is the religion of a fund, right? So you have to believe in that, you have to want to achieve that. Um, You have to have high integrity and a common set of values that all of us in a team can adhere to and trust each other implicitly because we are all following the same sort of values code, if you will. And then other experiences, diversity of experiences, thought processes, backgrounds, gender, age, orientation, I think all of that adds to the the curry, makes it better. And also, if you think about you know the, the the diversity of portfolio companies and diversity of entrepreneurs that we now deal with and yeah. we want to invest behind, uh, you want to have that diversity in the team as well.
0: How do you measure for this? Now, because the next question that somebody will ask you is, hey, impact is great, because that's kind of like the subtext in the conversation that we've been having here. Mm-hmm. Impact is fantastic. Love the mm-hmm. idea that there are LPs aligning with that team members aligning with it, of course, the portfolio yeah. is getting constructed in a way where you're able to like show, yes, progress of the portfolio is one way of showing impact, but mm-hmm. that's more from an LP perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're also in it, or double bottom line investing is not just because of returns, but also it's the scale of impact that you're able to have, but mm-hmm. it's so difficult because it's subjective, relative, what's mm-hmm. impactful for you is different for me and vice versa. So how do you measure for that as a fund manager while keeping in mind that you are going to be attracting the next generation of talent who are going to join you and, you know, be part of this wonderful journey with you and impacting more lives. And at the same time, you obviously want to think about the fund from a long term perspective of, hey, this is my legacy. You know, this is if you are starting a fund, um, you know, after being in the industry for 20, 25 years, you do know that this is going to be some sort of a lasting legacy for you as well. and and how people will remember you and, um, you know, everything that Ivana is going to stand for in, in, in time. So how does one build for impact, keeping all of these things in mind? Because these are tough questions for a fund manager as well, when he or she is sitting down and thinking about, because a lot of people get into venture also from a fund manager perspective, thinking short term, but they feel they're in it for the long term, but they're not. And hopefully along the way, they feel that they stumble upon it, which sometimes happens and doesn't happen and we often end up only talking about fund managers who um are successful and i'm also guilty of that i've only had people who have been successful in in in, uh, their round as fund managers but i would love to have somebody who can actually come who's probably like tried venture failed um come and actually talk about it but that's a different conversation altogether but you know where i'm kind of like going with this yeah so
1: Hmm. so why do this and how do you measure impact um so uh, strictly speaking, you know, Avana is not an impact fund because impact typically means that you are taking um, suppressed returns. Mm. Uh, Avana is a commercial fund, and we, we always believed in. I uh, started, I think, with profit and purpose don't have to be separate. Mm. They are not separate rail tracks that run together. They actually are all together. Right. And. Uh, one of the reasons I started Havana with other people is we had a similar point of view that if you take what is happening in the technology and innovation space and back great entrepreneurs with capital and with our um, ability to help them scale, our, our combined experience, insight, networks, give them access to opportunities, business opportunities, access to talent, access to insight, and help them grow better, faster, and scale, there will be positive externalities. So not only will there be very successful companies and uh, large, but in that process of being successful and large and profitable, and consequently create returns for the fund, they will create jobs, they will help to formalize the economy, um, they will create better access for opportunities, whether it is producer access, it is consumer access. And I think all of that is coming true. Right? So, and honestly, in in a country like India, where we have so much innovation and change, I think one of the biggest innovations out of India really is our public digital infrastructure. There is no other country in the world that has a billion four people, because no other country has so many people other than China, but a billion four people with a unique biometric ID, a billion people with a formal bank account. we've managed to roll out one and a half billion vaccination doses. It's, and... I think we are the only country with a vaccination passport
2: Mm.
1: with a unique QR code, right? So uh, UPI has been, Aadhaar has been a game changer. It has provided the identity and the dignity of a digital biometric identity to every person uh, where they don't have to go somewhere and pull out a ration card and really be at the mercy of whoever is subjectively examining it. So the dignity of identity, uh, UPI has made payments ubiquitous, completely ubiquitous and so easy at the click of a button. I don't think we have, there's any place else in the world where there is a public-private model of this nature. And similarly, there is more digital public infrastructure being rolled out in health in commerce. So I think if you put all of that together, that is really how impact is getting created. And our portfolio companies and as a fund, I hope that we are making our share of contribution to making digitalization happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and happen in a scalable, differentiated way. But at the end of the day, and most importantly, we have to find great entrepreneurs, help them grow and generate good returns.
0: Yeah. And they also say this about great entrepreneurs, right? That you don't expect those founders to be coachable. Um, You obviously... looking for people it's also difficult to find those outliers and it's also an ecosystem where this is something i've noticed about india and you tell me you're actually at the table at this and i could be completely wrong but i do feel that we are very politically right we are we we do not challenge vcs back home as much as you know the founders perhaps on the other side of the world do uh that's also out of yeah sure respect in some way but also the fear that it's smaller industry, VC is small, Indian VC is smaller, everybody happens to know everybody. So it's also that um, fear that, hey, what if I ruffle a few feathers here? Is that going to really impact me in the long run? So, how important yeah, do you I think, think, I think founders
1: have? are losing that fear rapidly.
0: Yeah, you think so? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I think so. I think there's a healthy um, power sort of tension, if you will, in a, and I think it's a good balance of power these days.
0: Because the narrative is shifting. Right? It's it was definitely
1: a founder first market.
0: It definitely is. That's where the narrative has changed in the last few years. And um, who do we give credit to? Do we give credit to the founders for, you know, actually standing up in some cases and not uh, um, taking what's given to them? Do we give credit to domestic mm-hmm. investors for evolution of mentality and coming of age in a sense? Or do we actually credit the third party, which is outside investors who have kind of like come into the mm-hmm. ecosystem and said, we're going to ruin this for you. So you either catch up or you don't. And we're going to spoil some mm-hmm. of your best um, builders and operators. So mm-hmm. either you work with us or you work for us or you kind of like get left behind. So who gets a lot of credit yeah. here or is it a combination of everybody kind of having a little bit of say in the matter?
1: I think it's a maturing of the ecosystem to some extent. We are now seeing second, third generation entrepreneurs, right? So, so people who have been either successful or moderately successful or not successful starting companies. So they've kind of seen the movie before. Uh, we are seen people coming out of uh, the very successful startups having experienced that as an employee perhaps and now becoming entrepreneurs. entrepreneur. So this movie has been seen a little bit before. There are a number of now investors who are also entrepreneurs or ex-entrepreneurs. So I think overall it's a combination of there's a lot of capital. Mm. So uh, it's it's great ideas are
2: fewer than the quantum of capital doesn't
1: mean a lot of mistakes. and then india is actually honestly it's just not an it's not only an ideas market it's so much about execution execution india is really an execution market in my way, in my view
0: yeah that's about that that is one of the hardest things to do especially given the nuances and cultural um, context that kind of gets tied into every conversation or every startup their idea we talked about this to an extent like even when we talk about middle india opportunity that being 650 700 million people um you know we kind of are in a position where you're almost empathizing all the time because we don't either come from that background we don't come from that society we either um haven't had any sort of interact a lot of us haven't even had interaction with um you know people from that part of the world that you're actually like supporting and building from from this side you know as being being an investor how difficult would that be to then also empathize with the founder who's trying to build a product or products or services or infrastructure for businesses that, you know, are trying to go digital? Because the opportunity, as we again spoke about previously, was digitizing India. And we're still in that whole process. We've done a very good job over the last 10 years of bringing traditional legacy businesses online, trying to, um, you know, evolve the models that in the last 10 years have proven itself in some way or the other, but the next iteration of it is, Hey, what can we do on top of it? We've kind of like figured out the first aspect of it. We've got a solid foundation here. What's the next. And I think that next is in some way comparable to like the whole conversation that people are having around web three and how web three is going to be like the next thing and all of that. It kind of like mirrors, even within the middle India opportunity or India Mm -hmm. opportunity as such, the first 10, 15, 20 years (laughs) have been a great foundation. The next, 20 odd years is going to be where real innovation is going to take place at the foundation of what these fantastic founders and companies have built in terms of the legacy, which kind of like then gives you an opportunity going forward. Now, you as a fund manager today will have to look at all of this and also then go back and, and, and trying to understand how Avana kind of like fits into all of this narrative as well yeah. and where you kind of like align yourself. And you know we touched upon this previously you may or may not have sometimes the empathy um, to go with some of the businesses that you're being built. So how do you then rationalize it with yourself and say, we still want to make a bet here. We still want to uh, back these founders. Of course, caliber of founders, the unique insights that they may have, personal experiences, all tied time to the narrative. But when you're looking at uh, opportunities from a fund manager perspective, um, how does Avana basically evaluate all of the deal flow that it brings in um, just to kind of fit the narrative that it's trying to play out and leave behind in the industry.
1: So I think you, you you mentioned something very important, which is the first cycle was around taking businesses that were just not digital. You know, take delivery, for example. Logistics has been moving goods, is as old as goods and business itself, right? So it's not as such a new business, it's just that what they were able to do with technology to innovate to mm-hmm. make it more efficient. So much in India is still around capturing efficiencies. Mm. And that is very low-hanging fruit. Um, Today, what we are seeing in literally sector after sector is digitization of supply chains. And whenever that happens, there is capture of uh, efficiency gains. So there is value. There is a shifting of value creation in the overall supply chain as things get digitized and formalized. and interestingly, uh, we are starting to see the entrepreneurs And Akash, you were mentioning this earlier, that the kind of things that folks are actually excited to do here, yeah, and there's a whole bunch of folks who are coming out of IIT, is not even seeking a job. Yeah. Right? So we have a company called Egos that is building the Amul for Eggs. It's uh, three amazingly smart people out of IIT, Kharagpur, who said, hey, you know, we'll go to Munger and Bihar and start an egg farm to learn and then build a business. And now, you know they are the leading branded eggs brand in NCR, launching in Bangalore and so on and so forth, right? So it's that caliber of talent. Um, we've just invested in a company called Iki, which is doing vertical hydroponic farming, uh, but not of premium leafy greens of things like tomatoes. So if you can grow tomatoes in Ikaner, yeah. because they've got a patented growth chamber and a patented growth fluid, you can grow tomatoes anywhere, and so that is changing agriculture at scale. You're increasing yields by, you know, 300 percent, reducing water usage by 80 percent. So that's massive, scalable impact and value creation. That's what I that's what I mean when I say that impact and value go together. You can formalize, you can digitize. Um, in the case of egos, hey, you know, it's better farmer income, it's better quality nutrition, and it's great value creation, right? We have FarmArt. FarmArt has got up 1.3 million farmers on its platform in like six months because they see the value of information that FarmArt is providing them. They're digitizing the rural retailer to really become an input-output hub. Mm-hmm. So there's so much innovation in business models, in traditional supply chains, like an egg or a delivery or a FarmArt and completely disrupting how something was being done like farming That we can to it. Right. We've got a company, you know, Praman, Praman is creating the largest uh, horticultural exchange, digital exchange for horticulture anywhere in the world. Yeah. So if you can have quality as saying, you reduce wastage of produce, is uh, so much better for circularity and efficiency anyways, and very valuable. Hmm. I think different kinds of models emerging.
0: Yeah.
1: Digitalization have- is a constant.
0: Huh. I have a follow-up, which may be a three-part question, the way that it kind of like came in my head. i sure. just shoot it across the way it was. So you talked about supporting that initial set of businesses, right? Which kind of like taking mm-hmm. offline, online, and trying to like digitize uh, traditional businesses that have existed as we know it. Growing up, I knew it, you know it. And that's kind of like where the opportunity lies. And now we're seeing the second generation come out in one way or the other, um, wherein they're kind of like building on top of the stack. And that obviously is going to be the future of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, depending on how the ecosystem plays out. And then you have the third aspect. The third aspect basically is when does Avana make that jump from, you know, investing in this, the first space to the second space? Because there's still so much opportunity here to digitize, you know, traditional legacy businesses. And, you know, you talked about this wonderful example of these three IIT kids who, you know, jumped out of college, went to a farm, started building, uh, or growing chickens to actually lay eggs. And, you know, that became right. a business, right. Uh, who thinks of like graduating from an IIT and actually goes on and builds that, but there is enough proof in the pudding to show that there's massive opportunity in terms of market potential. here. So that's a great example. And then you obviously have the next generation of companies um, that are building on top of existing stacks and infrastructure. When do you, like, do you have to play in one or two? Can you play in both? Can you dip your feet in both? Or do you say, well, stick here. We know the playbook. We'll go Mm -hmm. by this. And then maybe in a few years, when the fund is also ready, the fund is also bigger. And we've kind of like evolved our Mm -hmm. mental models. We'll make that shift. Mm -hmm. How do you think about it?
1: I think we will do all of it Together, but in different ways. Mm. So let let me take another example, right? Very successful company, Nika. Mm. You know, Nika, when Palwani started it, she didn't come from a beauty background. Very, I'm proud to call her my friend. I've known her for years and had the opportunity to be an early investor in that journey. But again, taking something that seemed not particularly obvious, but creating a curated Place for women to go and find beauty solutions
2: mm.
1: has been a huge winner.
2: Right.
1: Built frugally. Now, will there be other things that get built on top of that stack? Today, mm. if Nike were to be built, uh, or or a delivery were to be built, or for that matter, take a lending business that were to be built, you would not have to build your payment rails, right? Because UPI exists, payment rails exist. Right. So I think there is so much public digital stack now that it is enabling startups to start and scale faster. There is uh, There are certainly playbooks for supply chain digitization. It's a space that Avana continues to be very interested in mm-hmm. and we will continue to invest in significantly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We are also now uh, very excited about and interested in a new space, new for all, which is climate and sustainability. Right. In fact, our next fund is going to be focused on climate and sustainability solutions. Yeah. But again, using technology and digitization um, in areas that, are, that promote both sustainable consumption and sustainable production. So mm. India, we don't have the luxury in India of doing the people-planet trade-off, right? We have to do people-planet profits simultaneously, still bring a lot of people out of poverty, and, and yet be able to continuously progress towards a more green frontier, so from a, from that point of view, Akash, uh, you said, will we do this or that? I think we will do both. Both. Um, there are spaces we understand very well, and that's kind of what we build upon and leverage. Uh, particularly, yeah. digitization of supply chains. We understand food, food production. We understand consumption very well. And then as we evolve, as the market evolves, as the world evolves in thinking about uh, climate and sustainability. I think there are a lot of early stage opportunities there. So in addition to food and consumer and supply chains that we already do, we will also look at uh, things like energy transition, water, waste, land, air management, as well as circularity. And of course, digital tools that support all of this.
0: Right. Now that's a great segue because it kind of sets me up to ask you this question. Was all of this kind of, like already at the back of your mind when you thought about becoming an LP yourself. Now we'll get to the challenges of like managing two roles at a different point. But I think what is simple and profound and which doesn't really come across and we're all guilty of it, right? Humans naturally are drawn to shop term rewards and therefore get rich, quick schemes, affairs and um, having that extra piece of cake um, seems hard to resist. Right. But on the other hand, you know, Einstein, I think probably said this back in the day, Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And he who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays for it. Now, keeping that in mind and going back to the point that you made, which is these are some of the sectors that we invest in, but we're also trying to understand um, other sectors, other industries. We want to have a larger play here in the long run. Was that also the reason behind why you became an LP? Because it now gives you an opportunity to look at things that perhaps Avana... I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it to say will not allow you to, but perhaps doesn't give you a chance to just because of the nature of deal flow, nature of the companies, nature of the ecosystem. And when you look at some of these other upcoming nascent industries, it's sometimes too riskier of a bet as well. Um, so is that one of the reasons why you're kind of like also building yourself up um, from an understanding perspective and supporting some buddy young fund managers who can kind of like give you that unique insight so that when you're well positioned, um, you're able to, like, perhaps invest from that perspective from an Avana point of view. But I also have a caveat question there, which kind of could be a very twisted thing. Does that then make you a competitor to them? But that's a question later. But is that one yeah. of the reasons why you can, like, set out on this um, LP journey of your of your own?
1: So, Avana's purpose is clear, right? So our primary uh, focus, my primary focus and responsibility is towards Avana fund, our LPs, and uh, really we are obligated and we want to generate the best returns possible for our employees. right uh, One of the reasons that you know, from our family office perhaps we um, is to support you know this ecosystem will take a lot of development
2: yeah yeah
1: And how do we encourage and support younger newer fund managers in spaces that don't compete with Havana and that don't require us to spend time uh, so, it's, it's part of it is that. Mm. And uh, honestly, it actually generates very good deep flow for us. It gives us access and insight into spaces that Avana would not be looking at. And it allows us to generate a very good pipeline and deep from that.
0: Yeah. And how how is your ideology, philosophy, approach to venture changed being an LP?
1: I think I think about LP positions the same way as I think about investing in early-stage entrepreneur because many of these are first-time small micro VC funds. Um, it's a joy to see young people take the first entrepreneurial step in setting up a fund and uh, eventually see them be very successful.
0: And Do you end up spending a lot of time with them given that your own personal journey has been um... So yet rewarding, full of experiences, wisdom, knowledge that you're able to like share back with some of these um, budding young. Uh, I mean, young is should be. I mean, young everybody is young. I probably shouldn't come off as an ageist, uh, but just fund managers who are coming up in the in right. the industry today. I think one would
1: share experiences and hope to contribute positively. In general, in the ecosystem right? So to be able to mentor entrepreneurs, other fund managers, be helpful in any yeah. case. So to the extent one can help with experiences or networks, why not?
0: Hmm. That's an interesting point, because it kind of like comes down to personality also, right? It's not just the nature of the role that you play. Like, are you just a helpful person? You don't have to be an LP, you don't have to be a fund manager, you don't have to be a founder, you don't have to be somebody who is an advisor, just to come off as helpful. But if you that's the nature of the person that you are then it obviously adds a whole different element to any role that you end up taking in whatever you know walk of life it it be um, and having said that as like the as as the foundation for the question that that's kind of like coming up um how do you see yourself um changing what kind of like scares you about the next 5 10 years of being in this industry and uh, does that kind of like make you Sometimes saying, hey, I've got I've got to like, you know, perhaps wake up and kind of like build uh, a team myself or, you know, equip myself for the growth at the pace at which the industry is growing, my competitors are growing, my colleagues are growing. Um, or does that kind of like just give you a little bit more of, um, you know, or are you just more secure in your space? You're saying I've evolved in the past. I'm going to evolve in the future.
1: I think the race you run is actually against yourself, not mm. others. Mm. That's the the toughest race in life is the one that you're running against yourself and trying to be better and better. Uh, there will always be others who will do better and do worse. But I think one of the rules of running a race is don't look at other people. Play yeah. your best game.
2: Yeah.
1: And that is, for me, that is important. Play your best game. And a good day is when I have learned something. And I have contributed something. Mm. so That's a good day. You asked me, what what do I think of the industry? Um, I think as as an industry, any capital provider industry, of course, there is a return expectation, which you have to, as a fund manager, that is why I manage a fund is to generate great returns, uh, both for my own capital that is in the fund as well as for other people's capital, right? as an industry, though, I, I do think we have a responsibility, as all industries that provide capital do, is to be responsible and uh, support innovation, entrepreneurship, but also good integrity and ethical behavior. As our companies get larger and larger, they become important players, important parts of the ecosystem. And so, just as we talk about good corporate behavior and uh, ethics and good corporate governance, I think the same thing applies to our industry as uh, our startups grow. And huh? how do we continuously grow but grow responsibly and profitably?
0: Right. So no, that's a great point, and uh, kind of like brings me to perhaps kind of like the finishing touches to this episode as well, because you know we have a lot of fund managers who listen to it. We obviously have founders who end up listening to it, people who are aspirational about either getting into VC or into startups, like different segments of the audience that kind of end up tuning in. Now, if you're talking to a fund manager today, who is thinking about embarking on his or her journey of going out and building a VC fund, what kind of advice would you provide? And I know there are some people who perhaps don't like giving advice, and but perhaps might just share some of their anecdotes on their own personal journey. So... Um, kind of just preempting that in case that was one of the uh, situations here as well. But if you were to just look back at your own journey, kind of like passing on the, the baton here, although I know you're you're still running the race and you will be for a longer time, uh, what would that kind of like be and um, could just be me? If I'm thinking about launching a fund five years from now. What would you tell, hey, Akash, brace yourself up for this? So why do you want to do it? Ah. Why
1: not be an entrepreneur instead?
0: understanding purpose
1: so why i think the big question is why
0: yeah
1: Uh, doing it for the right reasons
2: yeah
1: having purpose if there is purpose at the core of it so many other things fall in place right Uh, i think fund managers versus entrepreneurs fund managers like variety entrepreneurs like focus um and that's why i think some people do one or the other Mm. um seek purpose. And that's not just for fund management. That is for anybody. Why do you do what you do? um And is there something in it that is bigger than oneself? Hmm. Are you able to do something that, uh, you know, your sphere of contribution, your sphere of outcome. And when I say impact, I'm not talking merely in the development and impact, but your sphere of outcome and influence is, is larger than yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: So that is a good thing. Uh, to me, and uh, as the the trick here is to build great teams, mm-hmm. as you build great teams in businesses, you have to build great teams in your uh, venture is also a business. And like most um, uh, knowledge firms, you know, venture is a knowledge business. Your key resources are your people. So having the best people you can, and building teams that are smarter and better than you is because
0: to me, that's the mantra. That's that's a fantastic kind of advice that you can give anybody in life. It doesn't have to be a fund manager. I think it just applies to like all aspects of life in general. Could apply to my sixteen-year-old brother who is embarking on a very different journey, thinking about how schooling and everything that he wants to do. So this is right. evergreen sort of advice. Uh, I guess I would have my next question would have been, what do you want to give to founders? And I guess it kind of like applies there as well, um, unless there's another piece of advice which kind of like is more. From a perspective of learning from your own personal portfolio, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, taking away some insights from them, and the challenges that you've seen them go through, especially in building in this very interesting sectors. Like you know, we talked about supply chain, consumer. We talked about um, finance, finances as the upcoming or the bedrocks of the next generation of Indian ecosystem where the innovation is going to take place. And you talked about climate change as well, uh, sustainability. These are not easy sectors to build companies in. These are difficult, it takes a longer time, and uh, measuring impact is probably even harder. I mean, not just an impact in the sense of, the sense that we spoke about, but in the larger context of humanity, especially when you're talking about climate change, right? Because you are a small spec that kind of is adding to the larger conversation and narrative. Any founder who's kind of thinking about, and you know, is building something out in this space, how would you have a conversation with them and just give them a very general advice saying, we got you in one way or the other. In a good what sense, is,
1: it's not really advice. I would just say, listen, we got you. Yeah, right? we believe in you. That's why we are on this journey with you. Yeah. Um, I would actually want to learn from them. I'm in awe of founders. I think they are amazingly fearless. Yeah. Massively courageous. Yeah. Risk takers, and they are all there, right? They're putting themselves out there. Right. So. I think the learning
0: flows the other way. Ah, interesting. Uh, So there is an opportunity for all listeners who are, uh, you know, building things in the climate tech space and sustainability. There is somebody here who would love to have a conversation, not just in terms of um, sharing knowledge, but also understanding what it takes to be on the other side and, you know, building it out. So there's obviously a great um, confidant slash um, somebody who's here to support you. Uh, So that's a wonderful thing for a lot of founders to actually take away from. It's very positive, given that it's a very lonely journey. Both sides is a lonely journey. Even being a a fund manager is a lonely journey. It doesn't come across that.
1: And I'll I'll say this about climate, by the way. I think we think about climate and sustainability. Uh, It's important for our next generation, right? We want to leave a better world than we found it. And it's a slightly, if we hadn't noticed, with fires in California and drought and so on, it's a little difficult world right now uh, with climate change. So not only is it a responsibility, but it's a massive commercial opportunity. I think the sustainability is is actually the next digital and like we saw digitization over the last 20 years, it's embedded in the business now, embedded in all enterprise value chains Mm -hmm. uh, and business systems and business models, we will see integrated business models for sustainability. It's not just ESG and CSR, I think everything will, big capital is already shifted. We need to see more innovation come through to solve some problems around climate and sustainability. Um, but yes, sustainable R&D, production, manufacturing, supply chains go to market and consumer preferences are shifting as well. Right? So I actually think it's a massive opportunity as well.
0: Massive opportunity, massive obligation for the next generation that you know, we can like leave behind a, a place where they can actually like build on top of and that's basically human evolution, Right. Um, it's been a fantastic episode, uh, Anjali, and I want to leave you with one last thing as I don't know if you kind of like figured this, but I'm a reader. Um, I love reading. I can't love coming across like thoughts and opinions and, you know, just riffing about philosophy as such. Is there anything that, you know, you want to leave our leader readers as well as me with in terms of something that's kind of like changed your life or a book that kind of always comes to mind or a blog or whatever it is, um, that you would kind of like point somebody towards and be like, you gotta like, at least take a look at it, even if you don't apply to your life?
1: There are too many for me to kind of go through because I am also a leader. Uh-huh. Um, so these days, when I see the discussions around um, where the world is going and the use of the technology, it actually takes me back to the science fiction of the 1960s.
2: Uh-huh. Read
1: Isaac Asimov, uh-huh. Caves of Steel, and Foundation. Uh-huh. And you start seeing some of the things we are seeing today in the world.
0: Love that! I love that. I'm, I'm. I haven't been a lot of a science fiction person. Um, my kind of like might be a surprise, but uh, mm-hmm. I would get myself around to like reading some of these as well. So thank you so much for some of the recommendations that you provided and a fantastic sixty plus minute conversation here, where I hope you had a little bit of a ball as well because I tried to go a little bit more deeper into who you are as an individual, a person than. I saw a lot of your episodes on, on YouTube, What you're, the, the interviews that you've done. And, um, of course, people can list all of those if they want to understand more about just the investing angle. But who are you at the core it is something that I tried to get. I don't know if I did a successful, a good, good enough job there. But I hope the conversation was uh, worth your time as well.
1: It was great talking to you, Akash. Very fun. Uh, great to meet a fellow Colombian.
0: Of course.
1: And wish you all the best. And it was very, very
0: fun. Looking forward to Thank having you. this conversation in person sometime very soon as well.
1: Likewise. Likewise.
0: That brings us to the end of yet another amazing episode. But well, today's episode was actually really different and special for a number of reasons. For one, we got to really understand who the person and persona behind the investor that Anjali is. And most importantly, we also got a glimpse into how she approaches various things in our own personal life which kind of has an overlap with her professional as well. It was a pleasure getting to the head of Anjali and trying to understand the kind of person that she is and most importantly, how she makes decisions as an investor. There were a lot of insights about how she goes about with her day to day and also deep insights into how she looks at the Indian landscape overall in general. I'm extremely excited about the work that Avana is doing and most importantly, looking forward to how they continue to support the ecosystem going forward in the future. Best of luck to you, Anjali. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed that episode, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show as well. We've got a number of exciting episodes lined up and next one is actually a very different episode to one that we've ever done before here on the show. So tune back in to learn what it is and most importantly, who's the guest who's going to feature. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and take care.